From infant whose mother was told she may not have long to live, let alone live a normal life, to winning Olympic gold and earning a doctorate, one thing that's been constant in Madeline Manning Mims' life is her faith in God and staying on the path as she continues to run for Jesus. Honored as an Olympic legend at the Sydney Games in 2000, member of the Cleveland, Ohio Legends Hall of Fame, inducted into the Tulsa Historical Society and Museum Hall of Fame, and recipient of the Lifetime Global Achievement Award from Oral Roberts University, none of this seemed even possible when she was born in Cleveland in 1948. When I was three years old, I had spinal meningitis, and the doctors told my mother that I wouldn't live. Um, wow. She kind of listened to them and just said, mm-hmm. And she told me later on, I prayed and gave you back to God. And she said, I, my bargain with God was if you give me my baby girl back, I'll raise her in the ways of the Lord the best way I know how. And she stayed faithful to that. Anyway, the next day, the doctors came back in to re-diagnose me and said, we don't know what's happened, but she's 50% better than she was yesterday. Wow. And if she gets through this, she will be mentally retarded and physically never able to do what the normal child does. So they kind of emphasized to her that what she needed to do is put me in an institution and go home and raise the rest of your kids. But I'm so glad that she didn't. Did she ever tell you how close she was to actually doing what they suggested? Oh, she didn't even think about it. Okay, that. good. Yeah, she, um, all she knew was that, you know, pray, that's who I go to. She called call him Dr. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I go to Dr. Jesus, we talk about it. And um, she told me, I, I just believed after the, the night was over and you were still doing uh, as well as they said you were, that God had a plan for your life. And so I didn't even think about what they were talking about. Yeah. I was a slow learner at coming up in school. Uh, in fact, I tell kids today when I speak to them, I said, listen, most of us are slow learners, okay? We're still sitting there trying to figure out what the question was when the real smart ones already have the answer and are on their way to the next thing. But, uh, you know, the thing that I uh, most appreciated about that time is my mother would sit down um, on Wednesday nights and she would read the Bible to us. Mother had a fourth grade education and she couldn't read anything, but she could read the Bible. Mm -hmm. And she would tell us, you know, the different stories in the Bible and everything. And so this made uh, Jesus in my life very real to me at a very young age. And I started believing that I, there was more to life than what I was seeing. And actually in high school, because I was very introverted, very quiet, uh, because kids used to make fun of me, not knowing that I was fighting a sickness, you mm -hmm. know, fighting just to be normal every day. And uh, it caused me to go, kind of go into myself and not really have a lot of friends. I had some. Um, but in the, I don't know if you remember the time when um, uh, President, President Kennedy had the physical fitness test going on for all the, all mm -hmm. the kids in the school. Yeah. And what they were doing was um, seeing how many in different countries. You I know, remember trying highest. to climb that rope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I hated that rope. <laughs> the agility run and the sit-ups and the pull-ups yeah. and all of those yeah. things. Well, I made some very high scores. And um, a girl came in and beat all my scores the next week. And I went to my gym teacher and I said, can I take that test over again? She said, yeah, you can take it as many times as you want. I took the test over every day for three weeks straight. Until, until you beat her she came, Until she came in and said that you can't take it anymore. Oh. It's over. <laughs> but when they compiled my scores, they found out that not only I was the top physically fit girl in the high school, but I had set national records. Wow. And that's when they said, you need to be into some type of sports. I said, okay, what you got? Okay, and what, what grade would this have been? Tenth. Oh, so you hadn't played any competitive sport? Well, I had in. I went to a Lutheran school when I was in elementary. Okay. And um, they put me in volleyball, and I think I ran track. I did, you know. Just, okay. Just had fun. I, I didn't know what this was all about, but yeah. it was fun to me. And I, so I didn't really go out for anything when I was in high school until. Um, the physical fitness thing, and they wow. put me in basketball, volleyball, and track. Yeah. And within a year, we were state champions in all three, and I think I had a little something to do with it. <laughs> but it, when when I did track and field, um, there was a guy who was Hungarian, and he didn't speak much English, and he saw me running, and he asked um, my gym teacher, who was my coach, uh, I'd like to speak to her and see if she would like to run for the Cleveland Division of Recreation. And so he waited. And I happened to, they put me in the 400. Remember how coaches back there used to, you know, well, you got the longest legs or we need another point, go over there and do that. Oh, You hadn't done it well, before ever. So uh, she asked me if I would run the 440-yard dash, and I was like, I'll know. Because, I mean, I like to diet in the 220. <laughs> and she said, just jog. Just jog around and you can get one more point. We'll be closer to winning the state championship. So I thought, okay. But she knew something I didn't know about myself. You I'm put, guessing you won the race. Listen, put me out there <laughs> and put somebody in front of me. And she knew I was going to go after them. Yeah. So this is what happened. I'm going after these other girls that took off way before faster than what I thought they should be running. <laughs> and I get to the half point and I'm ahead of everybody. So I come around uh, the bend and there is the hundred. And I'm thinking, oh, run the hundred. And I take off. <laughs> okay. Break the school record, set a new uh, state record. <laughs> win by 10 points and i'm excited about the 10 points yeah. and my my friends come over and say you know madeline uh we we won you did it you did it i was like yeah i got 10 points he said 10 points you broke the school record i was like is that good <laughs> you know because <laughs> in my mother's house you break something it's not you're good. in trouble yeah. yes so i wasn't sure what i had done but that's when um mr Ferenci came over and talked to me, and I didn't understand him, so I sent him to my mother. She didn't understand him either. <laughs> Finally, our coach came over and said, this is Mr. Alex Ferenczi. He's from Hungary, and he doesn't speak a lot of English, but he is the coach for the girls' Cleveland Division of Recreation track team, and he wants to train Madeline. Wow. And so that's how it all started from there. Mm -hmm. 
Let me back up and let's go back into the house. And obviously, you've already mentioned multiple times about your mom reading the Bible to you every Wednesday night. So yep. uh, you grew up in a home where the Bible was was present. At, at what time in your life, Madeline, um, did you did it really hit you the reality of a relationship with with Christ? And and at that time, uh, because just depending on you know, where you, what churches you go to, right. baptism is or right. isn't important. And, and did you grow up in a church where baptism was important? And when did that happen? Yes. In fact, that, that's an excellent question because I share, share this about uh, my reality of knowing that Jesus is God. Um, because I got to know him when I was six years old. I actually have never known a life without God in it. And um, it seems strange to me when people don't really have a clue of the relationship they could have with God. Mm -hmm. Um, But at six years old, I went to my Sunday school, and um, it was a black Baptist church, and we did baptism, of course. Um, There was these little cards. I don't know if you all got those when you were small in your Sunday school, these little cards, and and they have Bible verses on them, and they have pictures on them. Well, this picture was a picture of the Good Shepherd, and he had all these big, fat, white sheep all around him. And then in his arm, he was holding this little lamb who on my card happened to be black. Mm -hmm. And I connected. I saw myself in his arms. So I waited till everybody went because I was too shy <laughs> to say. <laughs> and I tugged on my Sunday school teacher's dress, and I said, who is that? And she said, well, that's a picture of how Jesus is the good shepherd and takes care of all the sheep. But the little lambs he holds in his arms because he doesn't want them to get trampled. And I said, can he hold me like that? Wow. And she said, yeah. So we, we knelt down. She got down on the floor with me, and I prayed. Of course, I didn't know how to pray, but she was like, you know, let's ask God to forgive us for... It's interesting, even when you're young, you know right from wrong. Yeah. And so I was trying to remember all the wrong, <laughs> like taking my... I'm sorry that I took my brother's newspaper money to buy some pumpkin seeds and M&M's. And I'm sorry that I broke my mommy's bowl and I didn't tell her. And I said something really bad to that little girl that called me a name. You know, (laughs) just everything I could think of. And so after a while she said, I I think he gets it. I think he knows that. And I I said, okay. Um, So I prayed for, for Jesus to come into my heart to live in me. And, of course, at six years old, you, you, in your imagination, you're trying to figure out, at least I was, how is a big God, strong, powerful God going to get in this, my little heart? It's, you know, I couldn't figure it out. But what made sense to me was, well, if he's God, he knows how to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. <laughs> just rationalizing very simply about if God is this then he can do that you know and that 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 philosophy carries on to this day because that really is the bottom line because so many times we go to prayer and we wonder is this too small or is this too large am i asking too much and then then you realize you know what 
God can do anything. Right. Now, whether he will or not, that's different. Yeah. But he can. Yeah. Let's go forward now to Tennessee State. Why choose Tennessee State for college? It chose me. Okay. Yes, I was scholarship there. Uh, during the time... Is that your only scholarship offer? Mm-hmm. Wow. Because they didn't have but two schools... Uh, I think it was Southern um, University and Tennessee State University that had scholarships available for women. Okay. And uh, this was in the 60s. Mm-hmm. So um, Mr. Temple, who was my coach at Tennessee State University, happened to be at one of the uh, national meets. Of course, his girls were there. <laughs> and um, he saw me run. But he also knew my coach very well. Both of them were Olympic coaches. And uh, I think he had, like, three girls at different times off of the Cleveland Division recreation team Mm -hmm. that, yeah, Coach Alex had raised up. So, you know, gee, I mean, one of the things that when I told him to go talk to my mom and he couldn't really (laughs) explain to her, um, he told her, you know, because she was like, she ain't going nowhere. She can't get her books and, and read, right, and go to bed on time, you know. And I yeah. was like, oh, great, you know, uh, without her knowing it, you know. <laughs> and and uh, he said, no, ma'am, what we do is we work with the young ladies to get them scholarships to college. And he kept saying something else, and she didn't hear it. I don't think she heard anything else. He, she just said, okay, what time is she supposed to be where? At what time? You know, <laughs> I was like... Mom, he doesn't even speak English, you know. <laughs> but he became a father figure to me and um, believed in me more than I could believe in myself. I didn't, most of the time, I didn't know what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember him getting out of the car at middle, in the middle of the street downtown Cleveland. And it's called it the circle, the Cleveland circle that you would go around and he just stopped the car in the middle of the street. I'm in the car with him. He's taking me home. And he stands up and he goes, one day, Jose Madeline Manning, the Olympic champion. And I'm dying. You know, I'm like, <laughs> Coach, I think you better get in the car. <laughs> All I can see is us going to the police, you know, and, and uh, getting in trouble. But that's how he believed in me. And there were times that I really... In my workouts, I'd be so tired, but because he believed in me so, Mm -hmm. I would do it for him. And then other times he would psych me into, you know, like, you don't have to do another two-twos. You can, I tell you what, you've done very well so far. Just that you don't have to wear. I was like, what, what? You know, well, I'm sure the girls over in Europe are probably doing a couple more things to get ready for you, but that's okay. You're good. You're ready. I was like, oh, I'd get so mad. And we're like, what, Coach? You know, another couple four hundreds. Uh, he knew how to push your button. Oh, gosh. Did he ever. <laughs> you know, and I, I look at that, and I think God had the right people in my life at the right time. Mm-hmm. Who are some of the other people on that team that maybe uh, listeners might recognize. Yeah, well, Wyoming Atias oh, yeah. was the second, you know, the one young lady who was back-to-back 100, mm-hmm. was the first men or women who ever did that in the world. Yeah, She was on the team. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of the Tiger Bells came back 
to visit. And Tiger Bells are not just on a track team. They're, they're women who have set precedents in the world wow. for track and field. So you have like Wilma Rudolph. Mm-hmm. You have Mae Fags. You have uh, all, all these huge, huge monstrosity of, of women who could run yeah. very well there. I was the, his first uh, middle distance girl, but usually he had a lot of sprinters. Um, but at that, th- that year, we had eight ladies on the team, and all eight of us made the Olympic team. Wow. Two were in different uh, countries, mm-hmm. from different countries, but the rest of us all made the Olympic team. Was it always those middle distances? But obviously you were a sprinter, too, at some right. point. In what? high school, I was okay. a sprinter. And then uh, that's when, you know, can you run the 400? Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll run 400. And then I kind of liked it, and he started training me there, and he wanted me to run 800. I go up to Toronto to run the 400. While I'm in the bathroom, they change it to the 800. I come out, and there I'm, i got to run the 800 <laughs> now. And he says, just use it as a, a, a training. Don't worry about it, you know. <laughs> And so I go and break the world record. And <laughs> so I get stuck in a half. So the, the 400 and 800 were my specialties. Okay. Well, let's go back to the to Mexico City then uh-huh. uh, and talk about being there at that Olympics. Because we, we know one thing that happened uh, in that Olympics when the national anthem was played. Right. Um, and I wonder if there was any pressure felt on your part to take that kind of a stand at the at those games and did and did that happen then before or after your gold medal ceremony? It was before. Okay. Before my gold okay. medal ceremony. Yeah. Um couple things can I take a couple steps back? Absolutely. At Tennessee State University. You know, at at 20 years old and and I'm a sophomore, I really didn't know what was going on. I knew there was chaos in our country. My heart had broken over the assassination of President Kennedy. And then later on with the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. and then Robert Kennedy. Those things weighed heavy on my heart, but I didn't know how to streamline them into what I was doing. So I tried to stay focused on training and Mr. Temple was good at at keeping us uh, well protected, and he had, you know, you don't go here, you don't, you're, you have a curfew. Mm-hmm. He was tough on us. But at the same time, he was doing it out of fatherly love. But I did notice that there were a couple times when we were trying to get from the track to the cafeteria or to our dormitory that people would come on and start shooting on our campus, just shooting. They would just come on. And I, I couldn't understand what was going on. It's, it frightened me big time yeah. because I didn't know, you know, a stray bullet can hit you and, and the whole thing. So I, I was confused about a lot that was going on in our country at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, this was also a time when my brother was in Vietnam. Praise. But those little things weighed on my heart, uh, but I was really focused on making the Olympic team because it was all new to me, you know, and I didn't Mm -hmm. even know I could get that far, but here I am, and I was undefeated for the last two years in the world, and 
things. And the myth was women of color could not run long distance. <laughs> and I was just breaking all those myths. And, and even at the games, um, I, d- I don't think that they believed that I would make it to the finals. I remember um, my first heat coming out, getting ready to run it, and Bob Beeman jumping out of the pit. <laughs> and Ralph Boston running across, and he was like, I was like, what's wrong? What's going on? I thought, I didn't know what to think. Yeah. I thought he was hurt, you know, because he was crying, and he had his hands on his face. And, and Ralph said, he just jumped. I'm not going to tell you what he really said, but he just <laughs> jumped out the pit. Yeah. It's like, jump. What do you mean, jumped out? He just jumped out. Okay, it's over. We're looking at who's going to be second, third. Yeah. I was like, and all this is happening before you run your first heat. Before I want, I'm getting ready to walk out and do some (laughs) sprints around the curve, and this is going on. Yeah. And so, um, I I I knew that um, my chances were good for for me to win. but I wasn't sure how. This whole situation at 68, a lot was going on, a lot in our country, a lot in the world, a lot in Mexico. Mm-hmm. You know, it was so much going on. And, and we, we all of a sudden had this uh, entourage of people who came in who was trying to talk to us, specifically to the men, not so much to the ladies, uh, but and said, hey, hey, you know, y'all need to boycott. You, you know, wow. it's just going on like that. So I'm like, well, uh, I mean, is everybody supposed to be doing this? You know, so Tommy, who was very s- soft-spoken, called the whole team together. And he said, I want you to understand this. Nobody's asking anybody to do anything. Mm-hmm. And it's easy for somebody to talk and say, you know, give up everything that you've worked so hard for when they haven't done it. But he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out there and do what I came to do, and that's win the gold medal in the 200 meters. (laughs) And then after that, I have the right to say what I'm convicted about. And we were like, okay, okay. And I think the brothers really... um, very protective over, they were very protective over the women. Yeah. I wasn't even at the um, stadium when they, they lifted their hands. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know, I saw it on TV, and I was like, what are they doing? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, later on, when I found out that they you know, had been chastised for mm-hmm. doing that, and I didn't think it was that much and and then later on i realized they're standing for the rights of humans not just black or white yeah they're they're standing standing for the rights of humans well and you talk about the 68 olympics and what what was going on in the world and and they're in mexico city as well well then the next olympics is in munich well we know what happened at those olympics um well, a lot of people don't. <clears throat> okay. The um, the Munich Games experienced um, first act major major act of terrorism. Mm-hmm. It changed everything, and the Black September group came in. Palestinians 
over the fence into the Olympic Village and knew where the Israeli dormitory was mm -hmm. and invaded it and hostage, you know, some, a couple, a few of them got out. They jumped out the window. Wow. So we actually stood on the um, porch of one of our sprinters' uh, housing pods and were able to look directly over and we didn't know what was going on. We just saw all these guys down on the ground with black suits on and, and l looking up, you know. We, we didn't figure out what was going on. And we saw guys on the roofs uh, dressed in, in athletic garb. And we were like, oh, they're going to get in trouble. You know, we're pointing them out. <laughs> didn't know they were sharpshooters. Yeah. And so I, I remember, that's going to be a funny part of my story. <laughs> um, I, I just remember this guy coming out, and he had on this, like, stocking cap or something over his face. And we we were talking, you know. Uh, I had come out of my room to find out where my roommate was and was out on the porch and was standing in front where the bar is. And the guy comes out, and he's talking, and I was like, I wonder who that is. And... Um, then he turned sideways, and when he turned, I don't know if he was getting ready to walk back into the room or what, mm -hmm. but we saw his rifle. And, and then it was like, he's got a gun. And, and we all panicked at the same time. And, I mean, I sat there just in just stark fear as watching these bullets but it was the most horrific thing that has ever happened to me in my life. Oh, and by the way, tomorrow you need to go run your first heat. That's what was going on, right? Yeah. I mean, yep. it was everybody, all the athletes were expected to go right back to doing their thing like well, nothing happened. They did give a, a couple, uh, couple days off. They shifted the times, gave a couple days off, and had a memorial service in the stadium. But it just changed everything. Yeah. It just, the, you know, the feeling that you feel when you're at the Olympic Games is heightened by the competition. Mm -hmm. But it's like somebody just <sighs> took it out of us. Yeah. And then on top of that, I was warming up for the 400 as well. First of all, I stopped at the wrong line in the 800 and was out by five centimeters. Oh, wow. The official told me, because I asked him, I said, um, where is the finish line? Because you get all kinds of lines down there. Yeah. And he said, well, you're in lane one, so where you start is where you stop. Wasn't. Oh. It was up about 10 more meters. But the, they were taking first four, and the first three came in straight together. And then I was behind them, so I relaxed. And I, start, I just started jogging off to the side because I thought I was finished, right? Right. I look and I see the, the girl from uh, UK driving. And instinctively, I leaned, but I didn't know what I was leaning for. So she came over and she said, why did you stop? And I said, because I was finished, right? She said, no, the finish line is up there. Wow. Sat there 15 minutes waiting to hear that I did not make it into the finals. Yeah. 
the next thing that happened, I'm still in the 4 by 400 right? It's where I got my silver medal. Two days before I pull a muscle in practice. And, I mean, unbelievable. I'm thinking, no, that didn't really happen. No, no. That, but Is that then, like the first time that that had happened ever, to you? Wow. Ever. And so I, th- I thought, okay, they're going to have to pull me out. You know, but the little girl that they were asking is like, okay, she wants you to take take her place. She said, even if she's just eighty percent, she's still better than me. <laughs> and just the 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 belief that the team had that you can you can do this, mm-hmm. you know. And I was strong, actually. I know that I probably would have been a first woman to break fifty seconds in the in the quarter. I, I mean, I was so strong and so fast yeah. at that time that I could have gone on it. But with it, I mean, even as it was, I ran a 51.5 with a bum leg wow. <laughs> and a lot of pain. And, and uh, I, Kevin, I came off the last curve and I, I said, Lord have mercy, because I could feel myself not being able to make it, but I didn't want to give up for my team. I was like, mm-hmm. if I have to tear these ligaments to pieces, I am going to get this baton to Cheryl. But from the time I came off the curve, I don't know what happened. All I know is I said, Lord, have mercy, and I was doing like this. Yeah. I'm handing the baton off. And I, later on, I went back to do um, a concert in Munich. And I went on to the track, just mem- remembering a lot of things. Yeah. And I got to that place where I was coming off the curve, and I, w- I couldn't remember anything. Huh. And so I prayed, and I said, Lord, what happened here? He said, you said, have mercy. I picked you up and carried you through. Yeah. I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you sure did, because I don't, I don't remember anything. Mm-hmm. But that that was a very strange. I call it my hell year because it started off with a divorce, very bad situation that I was in, being a single mother, almost leaving the team because I wanted to take my little boy with me, and that was not allowed. I said, "Well, then I'm not going." Mm-hmm. And I was captain of the women's team, and then they, they were rising up like, "If she doesn't go, then we're not going." All of us. I was like, "No, no, you cannot do that." You cannot do that. <laughs> you work too hard to get here. This is my problem. This is my situation. And so they calmed down. But uh, my mother, ta- I talked to my mother, and she said, bring him here. Bring little John here. You've got a job to do. Yeah. Well, that's why I wanted to ask you, because in, in most of these interviews, there is a time, and, and it, it's going to be different for every person, where maybe you don't lose all of your faith, but that faith is really tested to a point where you 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 may actually come to a fork in the road and have to decide, I'm going to move closer to God or I'm going to blame God and move further away. Did you ever come to a fork in the road? I was just faith? glad he was there for me. Okay. I really was um, because who had the answer? Who knew how to comfort me then. I mean, I was beyond being comforted. 
and in a lot of the instances that were happening to me. Um, but he always gave me that inner peace that I'm here with you. Mm -hmm. You're not going by yourself. Um, the greatest challenge was 1976, where I, you, I mean, if like my mother used to say, you know, if you keep running, you know, you're gonna run into some things, you know, hold <laughs> it. And but this was one of those times where you'll have a lethargic race. You you run long enough, and you'll have a lethargic race. You just hope it doesn't happen at the Olympic Games, mm -hmm. which it happened to me. At the Olympic Games, I had a very lethargic race in the semifinals trying to make uh, the finals. I mean, inside of me, I'm just going. I'm moving, right? Outside, we're just taking off for today, you know? <laughs> and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't break out of it. But so it wasn't a feeling of, like, dead legs. It was just you, you weren't able to generate the speed that you had been running with, and, right. and, and you don't know why. Right. I had no turnover. I mean, when I would tell myself to, all right, it's time to do this. It's try time to uh, do this, you mm -hmm. know, with your body. Uh, I would try to think through it. Okay, lift, get up on your toes, you know, drive with your arms, pull the string from your nose. Do You know, every mechanical thing I could think of, telling my, do it. And my body was just not responding. Wow. It wasn't doing it. My coach finally, he was like, all right, Madeline, time to go, Madeline. I was like, I'm trying, I'm trying, you know. And then it got to, like, watching television. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the back watching everybody else run. And especially in the last... Um, when I got to 600, a lot of the girls realized, wait a minute, she's not doing her normal turnover. Mm. And they came by and hit me, you know, like, move out the way. Wow. And that was so degrading. <laughs> I, was, I was so mad I wanted to throw something at somebody. <laughs> but I came off, when I came off of the track, I just, I did have this, like, one little voice on one shoulder, one on the other shoulder, one saying, you know, uh, See, God got you out here and embarrassed you in front of the whole world. You know, no, don't ask God anything. You know, mm -hmm. he, knows, he knows what he's doing with you. And, and this constant, and I, I walked through. <laughs> it was so funny because everybody just like, she's lost it. I was walking through the little thing going out of the stadium into where I could get my clothes and stuff. And I was like, shut up. I just screamed at the and they're looking like, who is she talking to? Is she telling us to shut up? Or, you know, they didn't know what to do. Yeah. I, I came and I sat down and I just, I couldn't even cry. It was hurting so deeply. And I was like miserable. I was like, I worked so hard. I mean, two weeks earlier in the 3,000, I had run a world record. So I knew I was in shape. Mm -hmm. I knew I should be winning or doing something good. And I, I couldn't explain it. And I remember a young lady, uh, one of my uh, teammates from another uh, national team that we were on together, she had not made it through to the semis. And she knew I was hurting. So she ran down where I was, um, got in, and she just sat there with me for a while. And finally, she just put her arm around me and she said, Madeline, I've never told you this but I am so thankful that God put you in my life because without you, I would have never run again. I watch you 
and I see Jesus. Wow. And tears just flooded both of our eyes. And it was like the Lord came and just put his arm around me and said, baby, I know you're hurting, but it's all right. Because I, I love you. That's the real reason you're running. Exactly. It's not for the gold medal. It's for that. Well, it's for the gold, too. Well. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality was you brought out a very good uh, point because when I walked out, there was a mass of news people, cameras, and, and that's when they had cassette tapes and mm-hmm. microphones and everybody sticking every, the thing in my face. And, you know, I, I'm still dazed. And this one guy, he, he stopped me. He said, uh, I, I know, I, we know you're hurting and, and we're sorry, but we have got to ask you this. You've been telling everybody that you're running for Jesus. You've got a book out called Running for Jesus. You've, you've got uh, a, um, a record out, Running for Jesus. All, you're telling everybody you're running. What we want to know is are you still going to run for Jesus or are you going to try something else? And I'm looking at him like, what does he mean, try something? Because that had never even crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. Drop your faith, you know, run away from God, blame him. None of that had ever crossed my mind. And when he said that, I realized I'm in front of the whole world. If I had won, would they have asked me that question? Mm-hmm. We've been talking a lot about your running days, but uh, after your running days ended, you've still been a part of the U.S. Olympic team yeah. uh, because you've been serving as the chaplain uh, for the U.S. Olympic team, the summer games uh, uh, right. teams for how many Olympic games Well, um, last year would have been like my 10th, and I was doing that virtually this time. Yeah. But um, since actually since 84, uh, when they didn't have a lot of chaplains uh, available, the actual a whole team of chaplains from all over the world mm-hmm. uh, wasn't together yet. But I was called in to help the athletes uh, share with the community in the community and use their platform to share their faith as yeah. well. Um, but then in 88, my name came up. You know, she, That was Seoul, wasn't it? It was in Seoul, Korea. Yeah. And that, that was the um, 1988 Seoul Koreans chaplaincy team. And I was a part of that. And so every four years after that. And then what happened is I began to realize who who better knows how to minister to the Olympic athletes than an Olympic athlete. Right. And, in fact, I remember on one of the um, chaplaincy teams that I was on, a lot of the chaplains from different countries were getting so disgruntled and discouraged. They, they wanted to go home. And I'm having a ball. You know, this is mm-hmm. home for me. Yeah. You know? And um, in fact, there were 25 men and two women, myself and another lady from Norway who spoke nine languages. Wow. <laughs> and I, I told the guy who was over everything, I said, you know, I don't understand what's, what's wrong. And he said they're just disappointed. Their their teams are not taking to them. They you know, 
They don't want anything to do with them. They, the, the delegates don't want them around the team. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's so sad. And um, I said, I'll tell you what, can I speak to the, the, the chaplains? He said, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, uh, let me call them together and make it mandatory. And I said, okay. He said, you have to understand, there are people from different parts of the world who don't even think you're supposed to be here. You know, either you are a secretary or playing the piano. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, know, you are not on their level to be a, a pastor. Yeah. And I said, okay, I got it. I said, I, I tell you what, I won't use my uh, pastoral platform. I will talk to them as an athlete, an Olympic athlete, so they can understand the culture of Olympism. Mm -hmm. And so they came together, and sure enough, you know, when he said Madeline's going to speak to us, you know, <laughs> got on their defense. <laughs> and uh, I said, first of all, let me ask you this. If somebody was to come to your house and, uh, you know, you had them in as a visitor, uh, and then they would sit down and try to tell you this is how you're supposed to live your life, how would you feel about them? And they thought about it. I said, I know. It would insult you. The Olympic Village is the home of Olympians. We eat here. We sleep here. We train here. We, we have socialize here. The whole thing, this is our home. This is our little world, our utopia. Now, we as chaplains are coming in to assist them to do their best. So we are visitors. And we don't have the right to come into their life and tell them. I said, in fact, what you have to realize is that this is God's will. He made them athletes. And they're doing what he created them to do. I told him, I said, okay, let me share with you. Uh, what my day was like. And I would tell them at 5 o'clock I get up and I go for my morning run and then I come in, I shower, and then I go get my breakfast and then I go back to lay down to go to sleep. After I get up, then I'm you know, shaking out again and I have another workout right then. Eat lunch, go back, lay back down because I, my most serious workout is in the evening with my coach. You do not want to approach me with my coach. You do not want to approach me when I'm that serious, locked in to what I'm supposed to be doing. And I said, but after it's over, you know, and I'm in, in the cafeteria and I'm just sitting there just, you know, playing with my food or whatever I'm doing. Yeah. And that's the time to come over and say, hey, you know, and first of all, don't don't talk about you. You're not here for you. Talk about, I said, and one of the things that you'll find out with athletes, they love to talk about themselves, okay? So if you ask them, hi, who are you? What do you do? You know, even if they have puffy ears and you know, figure out, oh, they must wrestle. Yeah. Okay, don't assume anything. Just ask them, you know, and let them talk about themselves. And after a while, they'll come around and say, oh, by the way, who are you and why are you here? And I said, that's not when you want to come off, you know, holier than out. Just, you know, you're a servant. Mm -hmm. I'm here. I'm here to just help the athletes, you know, do what they do. Um, you know, if, if you feel that they're sort of, uh, they have some type of spiritual um, nature about themselves, you can say, you know, I, I do pray. Is there anything I could pray for you for? 
And there are some who will just open up right then. You know, right here on my knee, I, I, I got that. You know, I don't want my coach to know. Uh, but, you know, if you could pray for that. Mm-hmm. And I'd be, be sensitive and be kind and, and just serve. That's what we're here for. You do that and you'll be in. And boy, oh boy. Uh, boy, I can, I can only imagine the difference that you made in so many of those ministers' lives mm. with that kind of insight. I'm going to go back one more, one more thing. Okay. So you are the first American in 1968 to win gold in the 800, and you're the only woman until last year. And I got to ask you, what were your thoughts when there was a chance that that an American woman may be the second one to win? Because right. there's something very special about being the only person yes. to do something. But I have, you know, I Did have, you want her to win, I guess is my question. Definitely. I've been waiting so long. <laughs> 53 years. So there's two of you in the club now. Yep. And, you know, the thing is, she's long like me. She runs like me. Her stride is like my. It was like, for the first time, seeing myself run. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wept. I just wept. I was like, she's running my race. I mean, she's running my exact race the way I ran it. Yeah. You know, and um, I'm, I just, it was a glorious moment for me. How can folks follow you? You have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Where where are you? <laughs> I am, uh, I, you know, I'm not that much into a lot of social media because it takes up too much time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm doing the things that people are talking about. So the thing is, I just found out today, Kevin. I did, I'm excited about it. USCSC has its own. Uh, website. Yeah. And so I got to see the first, uh, our website yeah. should actually be out tomorrow. And what what's the address? Just Madeline Manning Mims, if they went on. Dot they, com. Yeah. My thanks to Madeline for being a part of this podcast. I hope you'll give us a five-star rating and listen to other interviews on Soup Up. 